It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Welcome to the newest edition of the Giants huddle podcast. John Schmoke with you, today's guest, the director of scouting for the Draft Network. That's Kyle Krabs. But first, I want to remind everybody, you can find the Giants Huddle Podcast on the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank, on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. And now we're joined by our guest. He is Kyle Krabs, the director of scouting for the Draft Network. Kyle, it's good to have you on, man. Hope this draft season and, frankly, this really weird year has treated you and your family well. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to catch up with you, John, and, and talk a little bit about the draft. And I don't know if it's because there was no combine this year or what, but it felt like the last six weeks have just completely disappeared into thin air. So it's hard to believe we're right here on the doorstep of the draft this year. And uh, this process is always a bit of a grind, but uh, it's been been a fun class to kind of dig into and looking forward to talking about some of these guys with you here. Yeah, we were recording this on Thursday, so we're exactly three weeks out from the draft. So teams right now, with the pro days over, starting to get together and kind of put their final draft boards together, Kyle. And I guess, why don't we start here? Anything from the pro days really change your impression of players? Or is the fact that these are pro days and not combine numbers giving you and your team some pause in how you judge this athletic testing compared to how you would normally do it? It's nice to have the guys that, that managed to check the box, but I don't think there's any question. We're seeing more four, three somethings in 40 times than we've ever seen before. So uh, we try not to put too much weight into it. And I know for teams uh, it's been a little bit of a challenge as well with some of the restrictions and not having as many people able to attend. So um, I'm, I'm sure the teams kind of feel the same way where uh, I actually wouldn't be surprised if that's, a trend that you see with some teams when we get to the actual draft is you have opportunities to take uh, your high level assets and kind of kick the can down the road a little bit until we get into a little bit more normal or status quo draft process. I wouldn't be su- surprised to see some teams take that approach and say, Hey, look, like we're, we're just not really comfortable with what we have on a lot of these guys this year. So unless we have a slam dunk fit, uh, we're trying to trade back, trying to get more picks for 2022. You already saw the Detroit Lions, and they've already begun that process. The New York Jets with the same thing. So obviously, they'll they'll the Jets will at least be making an early pick at two. We'll see what the Lions choose to do. But yeah, it's the it's it's hard to buy all the way in on the pro day numbers just because you you don't know. Yeah, you really don't. Talking to people around the league, do you get the sense that there is much more uncertainty, just not with the numbers, but the fact that scouts really weren't on campus this fall, Kyle, so maybe they don't necessarily have the same type of information for guys off the field, the type of guys they are, and things of that nature? Yeah, so they're trying their best, right? You, you try and resource as best you can, and they, they have plenty of data points available to them, but uh, it's not – the data points that for so many you're accustomed to having anytime you have to make these decisions. So for some, it's like, this is an incomplete assessment. So it, team by team, I'm sure it's going to be different how they choose to handle that. But that's, that's something that, you know, is, has been kicked around at least a couple of times in some of the conversations that we've had with TDN and our scouting staff meetings between everybody uh, who's either worked in the league or, or has connections to people that are in the league. It's, it's kind of been just like an underlying common theme of like, we can't help but feel like this process is not the status quo that we're accustomed to. All right. Let's talk about the class here, Kyle, because you know, everyone has X number of first round grades. I'm not, how, let's start there. How many first round grades do you guys have in this class? Is it 15, 20 
How many true first round players are actually coming out this year? So for my personal board, I have 24. Oh, wow. That's a lot. For, for our cross check board, which is the collective effort of all of our full-time scouts on staff, we have 17. So I got a little bit, I got a couple more guys that I like a little bit more. And, and that's a pretty common theme. When you look at everybody's board, the way that it's stacked, you've got a core group of like, 15 guys that everybody universally agrees is first rounds. And then you've got between myself, Joe Marino, Dre Harris, Jordan Reed, everybody else has like a handful of guys that they individually really liked. And it almost gives you like that team dynamic where te different teams will evaluate it a little differently. So that's why I like the collaborative effort that we have in place this year. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about those guys that everyone believes are, are first round picks, right? Let's take the quarterbacks out of the mix for a second here, Kyle. Who are the guys that you have as those true top tier, top 10 level, top 15 level first round picks that are non quarterbacks that giant fans should be sitting there and hoping get pushed down the board to them at 11. Sure. So the consensus first round grades that the TDN has given out this uh, spring that are not quarterbacks offensive tackle Penny Sewell tight end Kyle Pitts wide receiver Jalen Waddle uh, from Alabama wide receiver Jamar Chase from LSU cornerback Caleb Farley he's flagged with some medical stuff he's had two back procedures in the, the past two years so there's some potential him for him to predictively fall in the draft but we love his talent linebacker Micah Parsons offensive tackle Christian Darisaw Edge rusher Quiddy Pay, offensive lineman Rayshon Slater, wide receiver Devontae Smith, and then I would throw Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State in there as well. We really like his tape. Interesting. Okay, I want to dip into a couple of those guys because I think a couple of those names are interesting. Um, in terms of the offensive linemen, Slater and Sewell, how would you rank mm -hmm. those guys up? And I'll you know, throw Jenkins into the mix too with the offensive line group that came out last year. I think last year's group – had more talent that was ready to play at tackle right away. And I know that's a little ironic because I know that was something that Andrew Thomas, at least when he first started playing this past year, uh, it was a little rough around the edges. And I felt like he settled in a little bit towards the second half of the season. Uh, but Penny Sewell, he was 19 when we last saw him play in 2019 as a true sophomore. He sat out 2020. Uh, the talent, level is undeniable. The physical skills are off the charts, but he won a lot at Oregon just off of being a better athlete than the people across the line from him. So if you took him and you combine him with the technical side of Rayshon Slater, I think you get one really good, like plug and play. He's ready to go. He'd be a, a stud at the top of the draft board. Now, Penny Sewell still are within our top three prospects because you're projecting for what he can become, not just what he is right now. Um, but I think Slater's probably more technically ready to play in the NFL right now. Uh, but for some teams, he's probably going to be evaluated as an interior offensive lineman because he doesn't have great mass or great length. Uh, he's super smart. They, they say he can play all five positions. And the good news for him, if that is true, and indeed like he can snap, and I, I know he can play guard just based on watching him play on tape, everybody's going to have a spot for him on their line. Regardless, if, if you're a team that wants to run out a bunch of guys that are 315, 325 on, on your offensive line, that center spot for him, if he can snap there, he's going to still have appeal for those teams. Uh, for teams that are a little less strict with their thresholds, he'll be an offensive tackle. Uh, so he's the one for me that I, I point to and say he's ready to play. 
no matter where he goes. It's just where he would play on that specific line. The one thing I noticed too, I feel like the arm lengths are shorter this year. Last year, Wills, Wirfs, Thomas, and Beckton all had 34 plus inch arms, right? You don't, I don't, I'm trying to remember those top offensive linemen, not a lot of them, if any of them had, you know, more than 33 and a half inch arms, Kyle, for that yeah. matter. How big of a deal do you think that's going to be as NFL's teams decide, well, this guy's a tackle, or maybe we're going to have to move him into guard? He's like Liam Eikenberg is a perfect example. You watch his tape at Notre Dame. He looks like a tackle. He plays like a tackle, but then, ugh, you know, not even 33 and a half inch arms. So uh, he was 32 and a half, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So how do you think teams will look at arm length this year? Because these guys are not coming out with the same type of measurements we've seen for tackles in the past. So I think anything above 32 and a half, they'd still be okay with in a lot of cases. You're not going to get like that prototype or prototype box checked. But for me and, and what I've been able to ascertain from conversations that I've had, uh, you can work with 32 and a half plus. Okay. And, and, you know, in some cases for teams that are less strict on it, they just covet the, the feet and the base more 32. Uh, you can get away with it. It's not ideal. So I think those teams are just going to have to ask those questions now. And I do think it's interesting, you know, we're, we're getting closer to the draft and, everybody's starting to feel like they have a little bit more information, whether or not it's information or disinformation that's out there intentionally is another debate for another day. But, you know, Penny Sewell seems to be a, a prospect who's it's, if he doesn't go five to Cincinnati, where does he end up? You know, there's a, from what I've heard, the dolphins are, are in on pass rushers at six and Detroit at seven. Is that a trade out spot for a quarterback who falls? And then, okay, Carolina eight. And like, everybody been talking about Penny Sewell potentially being like a top three selection for a really long time. And Ray Sean Slater, you know, is he's kind of going to be one of those guys that's in this sweet spot with Dallas at 10 and the giants at 11. And uh, I don't think you're going to see a real high demand. Whereas we saw with the offensive tackles, what all the, all four of the, the top four guys were off the board in the first 11 picks, I think, or 14 picks uh, with Tampa Bay trading up with, I don't think you'll see that same demand and run on this year's class, despite the fact that you can't have enough good offensive line. I'll get back to the offensive line in a second, but I got to ask you, you said Miami's in on pass rushers at six, or do you I'm mean sorry, pass, pass catchers? catchers. Pass that, okay. Catchers that, that, that's what I figured you meant. Okay. I'm pass like, catchers. wow, they moved up for a pass rusher. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, why Tevin Jenkins over Elijah Vera Tucker? So Tevin Jenkins being able to play right tackle, uh, our group collectively felt, he has the, the threshold to play. I believe he was another guy that was at 33 and a half on the arm length. Um, but his play at right tackle was phenomenal. Vera Tucker, we felt collectively is probably better suited to play inside at guard, which is where he played in 2019 when Austin Jackson was still on the roster. Uh, but he showcased himself fairly well this past year at left tackle. So if you, wanted to get the best combination of five guys out there, then Vera Tucker's going to be qualified because he can play inside or out. And if, you know, you have somebody who goes down or you want to try him at tackle and let him fail his way inside the guard, uh, you can do that. But uh, we just felt a little more comfortable. And Vera Tucker just barely missed being a consensus first-round grade. So three of our four guys had first-round grades on Vera Tucker. So we like Vera Tucker a lot. He's currently sitting uh, like 16th on our – our collective board. So he's right there in that conversation. Um, but for me personally, I view him as a guy who I would love to see him inside at guard. Cause I thought a lot of his 2019 tape 
uh, was really, really good where he played inside. You mentioned Micah Parsons being in that top group, which doesn't surprise me. I guess my question for you on Parsons, because to me, he'll take on blockers in the run game. He's sideline to sideline. He mm-hmm. blitz as well. Really good in the box. Run game defense is fantastic. The one question I have for him is the one area that I think is probably most important for linebackers, Kyle, and that's coverage. He has the physical ability and athleticism to obviously move and cover that way, but I'm not sure we saw, and part of it was his role now, so I'm, I don't want to you know, knock him for this. He wasn't really asked to do it all that much is, you know, the pattern reading, the instincts, the zone, that sort of coverage stuff for a guy that's fairly new to the position. So how do you see him advancing in that area, which we both know is more and more important in the NFL with teams trying to attack that short middle of the field. So I think his third down value early on in his transition to the league is going to have to come in pressure situations. And whether that's you're walking him up on the edge or he's stacked and you, you want to go cross dog and bring him up the middle and attack up the, up the a gaps with him. He's explosive enough to get home from the second level. So it's not like you have to have him like walked up in a mug alignment, which he's right there on the line of scrimmage across from the center. Uh, but that's kind of the looming question is I don't really ever see him being super appealing in like man to man coverage. Uh, so it's more so can you get him comfortable in zone drops and, uh, there were some flashes of that, like the Memphis game in the, the bowl game that they had uh, his last game that he played. There was a little bit of that as far as zone drops and, and attacking a team that was trying to spread you out and, and put you into conflict. But that has the potential to be a sore spot in year one specifically for Micah Parsons, especially having not played in 2020. Uh, but I, I do at least have the optimism of you can keep him on the field if you are a team that plays an aggressive style and likes to blitz and bring pressure and you can move them around a little bit, you could stand them off the edge. You can lean inside as a stacked guy. So that's one of those evaluations for us where you look at that and you have to ask yourself, okay, like what can he do? And are there landing spots in which he could be asked to do that? And where you forecast that based on assuming any team that brings him in is not going to ask him to play Tampa two and do a bunch of zone drops or try and run out and hit hook curl from being lined up on the line of scrimmage on third and eight and expect to get good results in those situations. So use them like the bucks. use Devin Smith is basically what you're telling me. Mm, right. <laughs> right. You, you use Levante David to cover Travis Kelsey and then have Devin Smith just attack the football, which is correct. Not just come bad. downhill and, and be a wrecking ball. That makes sense. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Hey, Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to 250 bucks when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Don't miss it on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. All right, um, let's go to pass rusher here. You would one pass rusher in your consensus top 15, right? Yes, quitty pay. All right, why is pay your number one pass rusher? Because I think... This is a group where you're probably going to have the most differences between analysts in terms of who the number one guy is in this group. So pay for 
he, I was the big 10 guy for TDN throughout the, the summer and the fall. So I had a chance to kind of watch him from start to finish and Michigan didn't play a lot of football. So he didn't get a lot of chances to change the narrative on him, but you look at, and I was actually just talking with Joe Marino about this this morning. You look at transitions for players at the pass rush position who come in and the ones that have success versus the ones that so often are like the flavor of the year. And I know Aziz Ojolari is a really popular player from the University of Georgia. But Quiddy Pay at 275 pounds, he's really good in run defense already. So you know he's going to be on the field on early downs. He has yet to really fully flesh out his, his pass rush acumen. But so many times you see the defensive ends and pass rushers who are able to reduce angles are the ones that transition better in the NFL as compared to those who play at steep angles and rely on speed and agility to win around the outside. So pay with his heavy hands, his length, his explosiveness, his ability to take an offensive tackle where he doesn't want to go while he's engaged with him is going to open up the door for him to then run through more shallow angles and get to the quarterbacks. Whereas you look at the guys who are much more reliant on whether that is Aziz Ojolari or you get a little bit deeper down into the class and you look at guys like Quincy Roche, guys who win with speed. They have to force you to miss off the outside and then they have to turn a really steep angle to get there. And, you know, reducing angles is going to allow you to compensate for the quarterback changing his launch point more. So, Plus, he's on Bruce Feldman's freak list. We, we saw the reported three-cone drill, and the, the three-cone that he ran was, I still think, two-tenths of a second slower than what it was reported, but nevertheless, um, it is otherworldly for a guy that's 275 pounds. So, mm-hmm. Pay's athletic profile projects favorably, in my eyes, as a guy who will have success because he wins with power, and you can work with the rest and go from there. If Jalen Phillips did not have the injury red flags, would he be in that same group with pay? So I've been having this conversation from the light of TDN's consensus rankings. If you looked at my individual rankings, Jalen Phillips is my highest graded defensive player in this year's draft. I don't blame you because Kyle, if you look at the film this year, he was the best pass rusher in the country. He was. So obviously he had multiple concussions at UCLA Uh, He had a wrist procedure in which I, he had a couple of bones taken out of his wrist Uh, after a moped incident. He had to medically retire from UCLA and then came back at Miami. And so you just have to be comfortable with, with what that situation was. A, you, you got to clear him on the wrist medical because he had a a pretty significant procedure done there. And then you need to be comfortable with the concussions and the fact that he medically retired and already walked away from the game before he came back. If you're comfortable with that, Jalen Phillips is his pass rush palette is phenomenal. Uh, he's super flexible at 260 pounds. He can play in any front, any defense, and he will win one-on-ones and rush the passer and have great success doing it. So it's just a matter of whatever that situation was in which he left UCLA. You as a team, if you're going to invest this in this guy, and he's probably going to end up being a top 20, top 25 selection uh, you just have to be comfortable knowing that there's uh, he went off the beaten path a little bit to get to where he is. We haven't mentioned Gregory Rousseau yet, who was a teammate of Phillips and, and, and Roche. And he had 15 and a half sacks. He's the one guy in this group that has elite production, but that was two years ago. He got a lot of that pass rush production rushing from the inside, even at nose tackle in that Miami defense that year. 
I feel like NFL people that have league experience are a lot higher on Rousseau than people like us who are kind of doing this from the outside, looking in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? And do you agree with that first off? And where do you think the room for Rousseau is to become great? And where are the dangerous spots for him to not be great? So just based off the film, he did sneak in for me personally. And he was one of the 24 that I had assigned a first round grade to. So he's at the very bottom of that bucket for me. So I'm in on Gregory Rousseau. I would have loved to have seen him show up at the Miami pro day at like 280 and have put on a little bit of weight to see how he would have tested. Instead, I believe he was 266 pounds, which is kind of exactly where he was. And I suppose you want to leave the window open for if a team wants you to play on the outside or wants to bulk you up a little bit. But I think his pathway for success, because he's so long, he is quite explosive in linear situations in which he's playing forward. And that's why you saw Miami so often put him down into the A gap and the B gap in pass rush situations, just like run straight through those blocks, you know, and you're so much quicker than those guys down inside. I think that area for that pathway for success for him is to add some weight to his frame and be a guy who can uh, almost like, I don't want to say JJ Watts name because that invokes the wrong ceiling for his play. But you think about JJ Watt and Jadavion Clowney, both of those guys in the Houston defense for the, for the last couple of years that they were there, you can line them up at base end. You can play him down inside and they can play the run really effectively in the B gap if you need them to. Uh, So I just want, I don't, I don't want a team to draft Gregory Rousseau and expect him to play outside alignment and play wide and expect him to claim a bunch of wins off the edge as a pass rusher. Like you got to shorten those angles and you got to get him into a position which he's better suited to play through the contact because that's where he wants so much at Miami. No, I'm with you. And I think if you're looking for a place from succeed, I think that's it. I'm with you on that. How about a guy like Owe, who has all the measurables, but none mm-hmm. of the numbers, at least this past year, he had five sacks, five sacks, I think back in 2019 of memory is correct. How do you guys project him? Does How much does that lack of production worry you guys? Are you more concerned with pressures and how he gets to the quarterback in his athletic ability? So, we do put more weight in, in wins as a pass rusher, regardless of whether or not you're getting home to the quarterback or not. Cause there are, you know, things the quarterback can do, whether it's throwing it away or, or escaping your, your pathway uh, that prevents sacks from happening on what would otherwise be good rushes. But for OA, I was encouraged by the fact that I thought he played the run better this past year than what he did in 2019. He showed the ability to kind of win the point of attack, win the line of scrimmage with more consistency But as a pass rusher, it's just a matter of we got to develop a plan. We got to get you to a point in which you anticipate what an offensive tackle is going to try to do to you and understand how to deconstruct that in real time. And we're just not quite there yet. So I think about Jason Owe and teams like the Baltimore Ravens, who lost both of their starting edge guys in in, uh, Yannick Ngakwe and then also Matt Judon in free agency this year they blitz approximately 50% of their defensive snaps. So teams that can blitz and generate free rushers with overloads and can kind of get him into a spot where at least early on in his career, you can manufacture some free runs off the edge for him. I think those are the more uh, friendly landing spots for a guy like Jason Owe, because 
I think he's physically capable of becoming anything and being a really good player. But if you're going to play him early on, if you're going to draft him in the first round and you're going to play him early on, you are really hoping you can onboard him really quickly with building out his pass rush counters or else you run the risk of running him out there and he kind of just becomes a guy who occupies a blocker and nobody's drafting a pass rusher in the first round to do that. All right, let's jump to the second round here, Kyle, very quickly up front. Uh, give me some offensive linemen that you think can swing guard tackle that could be available for the Giants with their pick in the early 40s. And same deal for pass rushers. What are guys that you think might drop to that second round, whether it's a Peyton Turner or whomever else you guys have in mm-hmm. that area where the Giants could find some value up front on either side of the ball with their second round pick? So Jalen Mayfield from Michigan is one that really jumps out to me. I really liked his tape. You know, he, you know, for, we talked about the, all the inflation in the pro days, he bombed his pro day. So, you know, that, that didn't really help the case for him staying it out outside at tackle. Um, but I think he's a better functional athlete than what he showed with his pro day numbers. So you're, you're talking about guys who have positional flexibility. I think Jalen Mayfield from Michigan guard tackle potential Alex Leatherwood. He's played at right guard and left tackle for Alabama. So, you know, and and he kind of fits that physical brand uh, that I associate with the giants and Dave Gettleman being there. So uh, he's a guy you, I also really like he's played on both sides of the line. He played on the left side at left tackle. He played at right guard when he was a a starter at Alabama. And I would also mention Jackson Carmen uh, from Clemson as a guy who played left tackle for them. But I think he does project a little bit more favorably at 6'5", 345 pounds to kick inside and play some guards. But you at least know he's got the playing experience to do so at tackle. So I like those guys as potential versatile utility offensive lineman. If you're just looking for your best combination of five, maybe he plays a guard, maybe he plays a tackle, depending on how you want to play the musical chairs with things. Uh, as far as pass rushers, uh, thinking uh, again, thinking about the physical style of play that I associate with Dave Gettleman and uh, Carlos Basham Jr. for Wake Forest is one that good pick. Uh, really jumps off at you. Uh, my comp for him is Shaq Lawson, who was a, a first round pick for the Buffalo Bills not that long ago. He's uh, got traded this past offseason to the Houston Texans. Uh, Janarius Robinson from Florida state is kind of like my guy on day two. If I wanted to stake my flag in the ground and bet on a guy's traits, six foot five, 266 pounds. He's really good at the senior bowl. He's got phenomenal length. Like he's a prototype build defensive end, but Florida state for whatever reason has done a very poor job over the last couple of seasons of developing their talent. The light bulb came on for him a little bit this year, as far as winning the line of scrimmage with more, effectiveness uh and you see a ton of flashes whether it's rushing the passer or playing the run with Janarius robinson uh, physically talented to the umpteenth degree it's just a question of can you get him out of that environment that did not cater to him developing himself as a player but i was prom- uh, i was highly encouraged by what i saw at the senior bowl so Janarius robinson is a guy you're you're looking maybe early day or early round three there in the back half of day two of the draft. The traits are there. They're undeniable. Somebody will bet on them. Uh, I would be somebody, if it were me as a decision maker, I would be doing that same thing. Yeah. I was impressed by him at the senior bowl too. And in the, in, in the reps he got in those pass rush shows, I thought he looked good. All right. Let's have some fun at the top of the draft here, Kyle, your thoughts right now, how many quarterbacks go in the top 10 ahead of the giants? I'll say four. I think we'll get quarterbacks in the first three. And I think you'll have an opportunity, whether it's the Atlanta Falcons, 
um, themselves or somebody trading out or trading into that spot. Uh, but I think that's probably where you'll see that fourth quarterback go. If not, then I wouldn't sleep on Denver at nine, but I think the Carolina getting out of the quarterback market has really kind of sapped the urgency of potential trade situations as things currently stand. They, they obviously invested fairly to a fair degree in Sam Darnold, but they were the team that everybody assumed was going to be the super aggressive team. They were rumored to be super in on Deshaun Watson. Uh, they had kicked the tires on Matt Stafford. So they, you knew they were going to make a move. So everybody was kind of sitting there holding their breath saying, okay, like would they trade with Atlanta within the division to go up and get a quarterback? But it felt like San Francisco kind of beat them to the punch to get up to three. And then they made the move for Sam Darnold. So I think they'll hold status quo for the time being, unless Atlanta gets a great deal. If there is a team that you think would move up and I think it's tough, right? I think maybe Denver moves up to four. If there's a quarterback that I really like with Atlanta, I think that's possible. Is it too far of a move though, for a team like new England or a team like Washington or a team like Chicago to get all the way up to like seven with Detroit, even 10 with Dallas, maybe if they want to get that last quarterback that's left without a seat when the music stops. So I think, I don't think it's too far to fall as long as you're comfortable with what the price is going to be. And then that won't be cheap uh, to, to jump that far. Uh, I think depending on who the quarterback is, you could see certain teams having interest in, in making splashes, but only on the condition that it's the right quarterback. Um, I know of at least one team that's kind of in that first half of the first round, who's somewhat associated with needing a quarterback. But if, if Trey Lance were there, on the table for them, they would make an aggressive move to, to make sure that they, they landed him. Um, Justin Fields for me is, is my second rated quarterback in this class. I think if any of these teams that are fringe playoff teams, whether it's new England or you mentioned Chicago and Washington, or you even go further back with like the Pittsburgh Steelers at 24, if Justin Fields is, is sitting there in that same range and like you can get a deal done and Pittsburgh, not that long ago traded up from 20 to 10 with Denver uh, to draft Devin Bush. That's right. So we, we, you know, obviously drafting a trading up for a quarterback is a little bit of a different animal, but we've seen that get into the top 10 before picks from that range in the not too uh, recent history or the recent history. So if, if that guy's out there for you and you're a playoff team and you have a complete roster, then yeah, I think you should be having that conversation and, and probably be willing to pay a price to go up and get them. This is a combo question, I guess. Do you buy the Shanahan-Mac Jones connection at three? And if you had to guess, which of those five quarterbacks is the one that's going to be left without a chair when the music stops and could maybe fall into that, you know, 10 to 15 area-ish in that first round? So I think that player will be Matt jo or Mac Jones. So I'm not buying the San Francisco thing. It's, it's too loud, too fast. I agree with you. And I'm with you. I, I just have a hard time seeing the San Francisco 49ers giving up two future first round picks to go give up a guy who, you know, for as proficient as he was running the Alabama offense, they have a system there at Alabama and they have been supremely uh, ahead of everybody else with what they've done from a system perspective when uh, their, their offensive coordinator, who's now name escaping me for some reason, the head coach at Texas, Sarkeesian. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Thank yeah. you. Sarkeesian coached circles around everybody. And uh, Mac Jones absorbed that playbook. He executed phenomenally. 
but the traits and projecting him to the next level and having those X factor, it factor dynamics. If you want to bet on him being the next Tom Brady, as far as between the years, more power to you, but that's not a gamble that I'm willing to take. So you think Jones will be the guy that drops. Interesting. How many and which of those top playmakers, and of course, we know the guys we're talking about, Pitts, Waddle, Chase, Smith, mm-hmm. do you think are most likely to be gone before the Giants pick at 11? I think Pitts will be gone. Uh, I think Chase will be gone. And I think you, you'll have a chance of seeing one of the Alabama receivers there, whether it's Waddle or Smith. I think that depends on how things lay out. Uh, obviously I cover the dolphins. So I, I think I have a fairly good feel on what their pecking order is. And if things played out in front of them a certain way, I think Devonte Smith would come off the board um, before the giants pick as well. Um, and then it's just kind of a question of Detroit. If it plays out in that scenario, say you saw Pitts go uh, four to Atlanta and then you saw chase go five and then the dolphins take Devonte Smith at six no Detroit team that really needs a wide receiver. Do they just take the last one? Do they trade at like, th- there's a scenario in which you could get none of them. I think that's an un- very unlikely scenario. Uh, but I would say you're going to have a good chance of seeing one of the Alabama receivers left on the board. It's just a question of how things fall in front of you. Do you buy the Bengals going playmaker or are you think an offensive line for them? My gut still tells me it's offensive line. I, I know that there was a, a big to-do about Joe Burrow and the Jamar Chase connection and uh, him kind of voicing his support, if you will, you know, without kind of grandstanding for Jamar Chase. But uh, my gut just tells me that that will be an offensive line spot because Riley Reef is not somebody that they should be, if, if the Bengals are wise, should be assuming is going to take care of your offensive line problems. How close do you guys, I'm assuming you have, or Pitts and Chase, I'm assuming, are your top two playmakers right on your overall board? We have Waddle as our top-rated wide receiver. Ooh, tell me why. So you watch the tape, and his ability to win against man coverage is phenomenal and he just in a lot of cases wasn't the first progression in the read and a lot of times the first progression was open in Alabama so he ended up not getting the football anyway um but Waddle also has an undeniable impact on zone when I believe it was Daniel Jeremiah had referenced he was the fastest uh wide receiver in this draft class from GPS speed tracking and it like wasn't even close Uh, so his ability to force you to play a lot of Uh, soft coverage and zone over top of him is going to create a lot of space underneath. Uh, He's his average touchdown reception for 17 career touchdown receptions was 44 and a half yards. Uh, So he's just big playing a bottle. Uh, He wins vertically. Uh, He was 21 of 26 for his career on targets beyond 20 yards downfield. Uh, So just unbelievable efficiency as a receiver and big plays, but you watch him play and he's not just a vertical guy who runs down the field. And and I think that was the biggest shame about Waddle getting hurt after the first four games of the season. And that opening kickoff against Tennessee was he was out producing Devonte Smith. Sure. As far as a a yardage production, he had more yards than Devonte Smith through the first four games of the season. And all Alabama did was take all those reps and they said, okay, Devonte, we're going to put you in that role too. And it just completely showcased him as long as the medical questions with his ankle checks out for our money at the wide receiver position. 
He defeats press coverage early on. He runs the, uh, the deep route as good as anybody. He can win in short spaces. You can manufacture him in RPOs and short game and screen game and, and quick game and get the ball in his hands. And he's just as much of a dynamic threat to take it the distances as anybody else. So obviously that's, that's off the beaten path a little bit, but when you watched him play on tape, it was like he, he won almost all the routes that he was running, even if so, he wasn't getting targeted the ball. So based on who you think is going to be gone then, based on who you're talking to around the league and all that stuff, Kyle, and who might be available when the Giants selected 11, who do you think are the guys, Giant fans, that should be kind of locked in on that you think there's a good chance will be there and you also think are a good fit and will meet the value at that pick at 11? I think Waddle is a name that you can start this conversation with. And, you know, he's because he had the, the medical issue and, you know, he's not a big receiver. I, I think he's somebody who may endure a little bit of a slide um, outside the top 10. And obviously you did not see a great demand in pass catchers in last year's draft. I think Henry Ruggs went 11th and he was the first one off the board. So yep. uh, that is a name that, that should be at the forefront of Giants fans' minds. I think Devontae Smith is also a worthwhile conversation to have if you're the Giants. Uh, I, I know we mentioned Quiddy Pay already, Jalen Phillips. You know, I, I think they've done a really nice job uh, kind of addressing some of their needs with signings. Uh, obviously, they, they spent big money on Adore Jackson and Kenny Galladay, and they brought John Ross in. So they've kind of alleviated the pressure where they can just kind of stay true to, okay, you know, let's evaluate the high value positions because you're picking 11. You should be expecting a premier position. Um, don't force yourself into drafting for need. And so those, those top names at those positions really jump out at me. And if, if Rayshon Slater's there and you want to have that conversation of, okay, do we want to take him and just rely on his versatility to play him, whether we're going to play him at one of the interior spots and move somebody around a lot of the names that we've talked about already pay, potentially Phillips if they're comfortable with him, potentially Ozerlari if they're looking for a little bit more explosiveness and speed off the edge, Waddle Smith, uh, Rayshon Slater. I don't think Penny Sewell is going to make it to you guys. Those would be the names that I'd be really dialed in on if I were a Giants fan. All right, a couple of random later in the draft questions that I've been debating mm -hmm. in my own head. I want to get your take on them. Tight end two in this draft class. Once you get past Pitts, I watched Tommy Tremble yesterday, and I have a hard time figuring out why he's not in that conversation, to be honest with you. He kind of reminds me of Kyle Juszczyk, to be honest with you, except he can play tight end. He does a little bit of everything. How do you look at that tight end class once you get past Pitts with the Pat Fryermuths, the, the, the Trembles, the Brevin Jordans, and, and, and kind of that group of guys? So Fryermuth, obviously the appeal for him over Tremble, the argument is we've seen more of him. Um, he's been more productive throughout the course of his career at Penn State. I like Pat. Uh, I think Pat for me is my second rated tight end. I don't have a first round grade on him or anything like that. He's a solid day two option. Um, the baby Gronk moniker that he took on for a little bit uh, has since been passed off to the guy who was playing in front of Tommy Tremble, which was Michael Mayer, the, the freshman uh, tight end there, number 87, who was phenomenal as a freshman for Notre Dame. Uh, but Tremble is a guy who, if you want a tight end that you can move around, not necessarily dissimilar to what you're capable of doing with Evan Ingram, uh, Tremble would be a great fit for you. I think Fryermuth is more of a pure inline, even if he's even if he's off the ball, but a guy who's going to play inside the tackle box area. Whereas Tremble, 
And it's ironic because he was so often just asked to be a blocker. You know, a lot of his production was kind of leak out and into the flat and get some run after catch for Tommy Tremble. Tremble's got the highest ceiling of the guys beyond Kyle Pitts in my mind. So he's my third rated tight end. I do have Farmuth ahead of him just because that's a little bit cleaner projection for like a traditional tight end. But I think you're on the right track with Tommy Tremble where his ceiling is the highest of anybody not named Kyle Pitts in the tight end class. How, who do you like out of the second group of corners? You know, get past, you know, Sertan and J.C. Horn and, you know, who knows where Farley's going to drop now. Uh, they, do you have Newsom in the first round and the second? If the Giants want to go corner in that second round, who are some of the guys that you would think they might want to try and target? Or even day three, if you like a guy that might drop into round three. Yeah, so Greg Newsom is inside my top 32 prospects. Uh, don't have a first-round grade on him specifically as far as evaluation, but I like Newsom a good deal. He's very loose and fluid. Uh, the big question for him is he's never played a full season. Uh, the injuries have been problematic there, but in coverage, you know, he can play man zone. He can play off. He can play press. So you, you like the versatility that you get there. And he's got some good ball skills too. I like Eric Stokes from Georgia, uh, who obviously made much to do about the, the 40 time that he ran down at the house of athlete combine this, this year. And I was actually in, in person for that one. So, I don't care what the time was. I know it was fast as hell and he can blaze a little bit. So um, I think he's physical. He's another guy that's like six one. So, so he's long. He's, he's got that scrap to him uh, as well. So I like Eric Stokes as a potential round two corner. Um, and then Asante Samuel jr. You know, if you're not afraid of size, uh, if you're comfortable with a guy who's five, 10 and a half, five, 11, uh, Asante Samuel jr. Has plenty of that quick feet. That, that allow you to close distances quickly and when you're playing soft coverage and, and attack the football. And uh, for some teams, he's probably going to be warranted only as a nickel corner, but I think in the right system, he can play outside. And uh, I, I like his potential quite a bit. And he showed some, some growth as far as ball skills this past year for Florida state. What's the position group that, go, that we're going to wake up on Friday morning before round two and three, where we're going to say, Holy cow, we are still stacked at this spot. You can get a plug-and-play starter at this position on day two if you get one early enough. I think it's the interior offensive line. Uh, I really like the interior offensive line class. I think Elijah Vera Tucker's uh, destined for a date in round one, but Landon Dickerson's got uh, the, the medical questions. Obviously, he tore his knee up in the, the SEC championship game. That didn't stop him from doing cartwheels in the background of Mac Jones's pro day just last week. So he looks to be healthy, but the, from a medical perspective, that is a question with him. Uh, Creed Humphrey, Wyatt Davis from Ohio state. Uh, there's some really good interior offensive linemen uh, in this year's class. And some of these guys are, are guys that I had already mentioned as far as being potential tackle guard, flexible guys, guys like Alex Leatherwood. And I didn't put Brady Christensen from BYU in that bucket as a guy who, uh, I don't think he has an ideal size profile to play outside. I think he's like 305 and he has short arms. I think he's got like 32 and one eighth inch arms. So, uh, but if you're going to run a zone style system, so maybe not necessarily a fit for the giants, but you can get a lot of good offensive linemen. And that's what makes the debate uh, for the teams that are in offensive line consideration. So interesting is you typically associate, okay, you can get a wide receiver on day two and that guy will come in and it'll be a starter for you right away. But if you need, offensive help in general teams like Cincinnati and Miami it's like well you can also get the linemen on day two this year 
do you want to go get an elite pass catcher instead? So it's, it's kind of turned that argument in against itself. So that's a fun dynamic of this year's class. Yeah. The argument we've been having, to be honest with you, Kyle, if you're sitting there and you're staring at, you know, one of either Slater or Sewell, and then one of either Waddle or Smith at 11, right. where do you go? Because both position groups are pretty deep where you can get one in the second round at either spot. Yeah, so that that's an unenviable spot, and, and potentially some of those decisions will be made for the Giants because you're picking 11. I the team I don't envy is Cincinnati, <laughs> and Cincinnati picking at five, and you got you Just know Chase Pitts, Chase dude. is going on the board, easy. Pitts is on the board, Sewell's on the board. Like good luck making a choice, and you know let's let's hope you, the board breaks for you guys the second time around. But yeah, I think that's the at least the the I don't want to say luxury, but the upside of the Giants situation is. Hopefully some of those hard decisions are made for you. And you could say, look, we, we loved X number of guys. This is the guy that's left. We're going this route. We'll feel good about tier two on day two tomorrow. All right. Next to last question. Then I'll get your prediction here. I'm waking up on Saturday morning on day three of the draft. Where do you think there's going to be a spot where you're going to be like, Oh, all right. I can maybe still get some round two value here at the very top end of, of round four, because this group just happens to be so deep. I think the edge group for the lack of appeal it has at the top of the class, I think you get down into like 75 and down in the pecking order. And I think there's some really good names in that area. So if I'm just looking at the, the consensus rankings for TDN, uh, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys in the top 50, and then another seven guys from 50 to 100. Oh, wow. So okay. in, 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 those guys are more scheme specific. They're guys like Janarius Robinson who didn't hadn't put it all together at Florida state. They're guys like Peyton Turner from Houston who played at 290 and then cut to 270 this past year and played there. Uh, so, so you only have like a one year sample size of what his body type looks like. You've got scheme specific guys like Hamilcar Rashad and uh, Jordan Smith uh, from, from UAB who used to be a recruit to the university of Florida. So you have a lot of different, types and depending on what you're looking for if you want an early down guy you want a designated pass rusher that's not going to play on all three downs you want a developmental guy i think the edge group there's going to be a lot of value to be had it's just a question of what specifically are you looking for versus the rest of the league all right the draft network and you're the head honcho over there kyle you guys are the kings of the mock draft simulator so i'm going to make this very tough on you I want round one, two, and three predictions for you for the New York Giants in the 2021 draft. What you got? Okay. Let's go with let's go with Devontae Smith, wide receiver, in the first round. If we're looking at offensive line, I wish, I wish I could say Vera Tucker would be there for you in the second round. Um I think that's unlikely. I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's not going to happen. But we could we could dream about it. <laughs> I'll probably go with an edge rusher. Maybe Gregory Rousseau in the early two. You I think he's got a realistic. I think he's got a realistic chance to to get there. Um, I won't I won't completely disqualify that as as a potential. And then you need third round as well. Sure. Why not? I'm going to make you happy. I'm going to give you Tommy tremble there. <laughs> that does make me happy. Kyle, man. Awesome stuff. Tell the folks where they can find everything you do and everything about the draft network. 
Sure. So if you're interested in following uh, me on social media, I'm at grinding the tape. Uh, the draft network is at the draft network, the draftnetwork.com player rankings, big boards, mock drafts, team specific content, college football content. We've got three daily podcasts as well. So you get like 10 to 15 podcasts a week that come out courtesy of TDN. You can find all that on the website. Uh, it, it's a great tool this time of year, but we treat this process as a year round process, just like the teams do. Uh, so it's a great way to kind of stay plugged in on college football, the team needs of everybody in your division and your conference and you specifically. And uh, it's, it's just really been cool to see as it's grown uh, how many different ways that we can attack football coverage. So check out the draftnetwork.com and yours truly. I'm on social media. I'm at grinding the tape. Kyle, good stuff, my friend. We'll talk soon. Enjoy the next three weeks. Thank you. You too, John. That's Kyle Krabs. We thank him for joining us on this episode of the Giants Huddle Podcast. As a reminder, you can find this podcast and all of our podcast offerings, including our daily show. Every weekday at noon, Big Blue Kickoff Live on the Giants Podcast Network, presented by Investors Bank, which you can find on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and on your favorite podcast platforms. For Kyle, I'm Schmelk. We'll see you next time on the Giants Huddle.